good afternoon and good evening or good evening standard trish greeting for everybody which of course is not with us today welcome to the silmarillion film project still in see we're still in season five yep. i'll have you guys know and uh we're in for a good time tonight i think this is the last of this phase right the last episode of the phase we're in right now kind maybe of the maybe not no i think it's gonna be at least one more well first first of all that it presumes we get through all of the things that we're supposed that to talk true. about tonight which is always a major uh a major assumption uh but and and i think there are some uh kind of uh larger thematic issues i want to come back and talk about too so but we're getting there we're getting to the end of the so that mellifluous voice that you're hearing is Corey olson the token (laughs) professor and i am not going to mute myself because i have the fan on the background so i will the fan will presage my coming in to make a comment (laughs) excellent all right. Well, welcome, everybody. Uh, uh, we are indeed coming towards the end, not quite at the end, but towards the end of our uh, uh, pre-season discussion of storylines, kind of working out some of the big picture planning uh, for this season before we begin to go through uh, the uh, the outlines of individual episodes and stuff. We're getting closer to that uh, and uh, excited to uh, begin to really see this story that we've been discussing uh, begin to take form uh, in some uh, some more tangible ways. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, before that, just a couple quick announcements. Um, first, we have another moot coming up soon. Middle moot is happening this year. Um, it is going to be uh, an online event this year. We have decided we uh, we we want to stick with that for the next uh, couple moots here in the fall, just to make sure you know to make things easier for everybody, but uh, it does mean um, things are going to be um, available for uh, lots of folks. Uh, we just did uh, MythMoot a couple weeks back at the beginning of August, and it was spectacular. We had such a wonderful time. Um, it was a really excellent uh, online mood experience. Our first attempt at a real uh, online-only conference, which is only ever a poor substitute for an in-person event. Uh, we really value those very much. Of course, at Signum, uh, we do everything uh, online and our moot uh, rotation, our moots, uh, our, 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 our gatherings, both our big uh, uh, central gathering at MythMoot uh, and our regional gatherings after that are designed to be the one chance that we have to actually get together and see folks. Uh, and I'm really eager to get back to that. But we can't yet. So while we can't, uh, we might as well uh, do the best we can getting together online. So we're going to be doing that again. The date is October 10th. Um, the theme is the Heart of Hope, uh, which is a lovely follow-up, actually, from Myth Moot, uh, where we were defying and defining the darkness. Uh, and, uh, uh, and now we're looking at hope. Uh, here in uh, October of 2020. We're coming up on the Call for Papers deadline. Uh, You can find more information uh, on this at signumuniversity.org slash events so that you can can, uh, uh, find links and things to to send proposals to. Uh, Would love to see some uh, more people involved uh, there uh, and look for more information. I'll be talking a little bit more about Middle Moot uh, as we get uh, as we get closer to it. Uh, yeah, Steve, it is going to be OK. We're, I, you know, the regional events. 
I have no desire to, although again, I always look forward to getting together with folks from the region. We're not going to like kick out anybody who's not, you know, from the, you know, center part of, uh, of America there. Uh, so yeah, it'll definitely be something that, that folks, uh, in general can attend. Uh, so, uh, definitely. So people from outside of the Midwest welcome also to submit proposals there. So uh, it will be, it will be, uh, hosted from virtual Kansas city (laughs) this year. Kansas city is supposed to be the location. Uh, so, you know, it's going to be hard because uh, it, it is particularly ch- difficult for me because I was really looking forward to going back to some of my favorite barbecue places in Kansas City this year. So that really goes to my heart. Uh, but, you know, we, we'll, we'll do what we can. Um, the second thing I wanted to uh, remind folks, as I've mentioned before, that the Signum store is now open. Um, uh, you can see the, the, the website there. You can get that link also uh, from uh, the uh, the Signum University website as well. Um, uh, lots of fun stuff on the Signum store. I've been uh, really enjoying my first round of Signum merchandise that I've gotten recently. Uh, I was wearing a couple of my t- uh, a couple of my new T-shirts earlier this week. Uh, so anyway, uh, definitely recommend that. Uh, lots of fun things. And um, if you have ideas, so. As you'll see how this store works, of course, uh, we have a number of designs, uh, designs and slogans and things like that. Uh, And then you can get them put on almost anything you want. You can choose almost any article of clothing and uh, or like cups and coasters and throw pillows and socks and uh, all manner, you know, phone cases and almost anything you like. Um, So uh, anyone who has a suggestion uh, for um, uh, for designs, uh, feel free to let us know. We don't really have any uh, film film specific uh, designs, which, you know, would be fun. Um, But um, (laughs) Nick says he couldn't talk his wife into a Balrog's Don't Have Wings sheet set. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I I, I got the T-shirt. But yeah, I think the uh, I think the like the comforter (laughs) would be would be a harder sell. But, you know, who knows? Um, uh, But uh, but yeah, so um, definitely, uh, definitely. I think some of the designs and things that we've that we have, I mean, I mean, I think of the. the the some of the wonderful artwork that's been done for some film it would be really cool uh to be able to have some of that stuff in our store um so um yeah bob way was here phil that that is uh a definite potential i think um, oh i'm a big fan of that one yeah yeah, a definite potential. So if you if you have suggestions that you know you can, and you can send links to um so, I mean, obviously, we'd have to, if it's, uh, you know, the artwork of someone else who submitted for film film, we'd obviously have to get their permission and stuff. Um, but um, but anyway, yeah, uh, let us know suggestions that you have, uh, and we'll definitely, we'll definitely work on that. Info at signumu.org is where you should send uh, the, uh, uh, the suggestions and things for, uh, for, well, not just shirts, but any designs. Um, yeah, excellent. Cool. Oh, great. Yes. And as Marie was reminding me, there's a thread on the message board uh, for um, uh, for uh, ideas for uh, for designs. Great. Yeah. 
Marielle is suggesting Silm Film Production Crew. Uh, that would actually be a really fun T-shirt, wouldn't it? Um, yeah, there you go. That'd be uh, great. Yeah, that would be great. So, anyway, definitely, uh, definitely stuff to be thinking about uh, as we move forward. Uh, some fun opportunities. Um, yeah, yeah, Marie. Exactly. We do have to be careful about things uh you know we, we have to be careful about trademarks and stuff we can't really do any trademark stuff so a lot of character names are out of bounds bob way of course would be okay uh but um yeah yeah um yeah cool um yeah okay um all right so good let's jump back into the story then. So let's look at the Sindar, who all of whom really play a very small role uh, in this season. Of course, you know, D- uh, Doriath was the the center of one of the primary storylines uh, in last season, in season four, uh, with the discovery of the Kinslaying. Kyrdan uh, and Thingol, of course, being the, the key characters in that whole thing, and obviously Galadriel and Celeborn, uh, the romance of Galadriel and Celeborn culminating in their uh, wedding at the end, uh, was also another major storyline. So we had a, a lot of Sindar action uh, in season four, and the Sindar take uh, very much a back seat here uh, in this season. Not only because, you know, the action is sort of elsewhere, primarily focused on the men and then the other uh, the other Noldor with whom they're primarily interacting, um, uh, but of course also building up to the Dagor Bragalach, which is going to be affecting the Noldor who are uh, uh, forming the Leaguer uh, and uh, touching the Sindar all over uh, a great deal less. So obviously we want to be uh, preparing, you know, for the major the major stroke at the end of the season. However, we don't want to forget about our Sindar, uh, so let's kind of think through ways in which they could be involved. So Galadriel and Celeborn, we had them honeymooning. We, we were going we were gonna to send them off to Assyriand, um, which does mean that they have the opportunity to interact with men. Of course, we have the famous uh, uh, unfriendship incident uh, with... Uh, with men, we had decided that the the people who will become the House of Hador uh, should be the ones who have the uh, the unfriendly relationship uh, with the Green Elves. Um, so that kind of uh, uh, having Galadriel and Celeborn on hand uh, during that dispute uh, would be kind of interesting. Um, I would think, by the way, one of the other obvious opportunities that we have here uh, in Season 5 with Goadru and Celeborn in Osiriand, I mean, um, is a scene introducing them to Treebeard, right? Treebeard and Goadru and Celeborn could meet for the first time here. Uh, time for us to set up the meeting of Goadru and Celeborn with Treebeard in Orthanc in The Return of the King, right? Um, you know, when they meet for the yeah, last time idea, uh, there yep. at the end. Uh, so, um, uh, yeah, so that's that's certainly another possibility there. Um, and then, of course, uh, they can return to Doriath, which gives us an excuse to come back to Thingol uh, for really the one... Um, the one incident in Thingol. The, the, there's only one thing that Thingol has only... Thingol has one job in this season, right? And that's to make his 
ominous and dramatically ironic declaration that no man shall ever come into Toriath, right? Um, uh, so, and of course, we do have the interactions. The uh, uh, We've already talked about the Haleth story and how Haleth is going to be interacting, especially with Beleg. Um, so, um, uh, you know, that's, it's uh, sort of related there as well. So anyway, so let's, but let's think about Gladro and Caliborn first before we get to Thingol here. Um, uh, all right. So, yeah, Marie, that's a really interesting question about the timing of the, the timing of the, the separation between the ends and the ant wives. Um, I'm thinking, I'm thinking that's a second age story, primarily the separation. I mean, um, which kind of means that, um, uh, which kind of means that we should introduce the ancient wives together at some point prior to that. Um, uh, I don't think we have a lot of plot line for Ents uh, this season. Um, I can't imagine Treebeard is more than a kind of a cameo uh, role throughout, you know, the the entire season this year. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, Rhiannon is wondering if they should leave for the East before the Dagor Bragalach. Possibly. Um, I don't know that they need to leave entirely. They just don't need to not be in the north, right? Or some of them could be. I mean, you know, there's no reason that we can't have an end. I mean, Treebeard can't be, right? When a Treebeard can't die in the Dagor Bragalach. Um, but, um, but you know, I mean, Dorthonian is one of the places he mentions in his song, um, in the Lord of the Rings, uh, being. So it'd be kind of nice to put him there, actually. Um, you know, I, I said... Having Gladio and Celeborn and Osirian gives us an opportunity to introduce them to Treebeard, and I still think that's true. But I don't think that we should make the Ents merely a feature of Osirian. Treebeard is pretty clear about the fact that he wandered all over Beleriand and quite enjoyed it. Um, so showing them, um, uh, you know, having them sort of show up uh, in uh, in in various places. Um, Again, not necessarily multiple times this season, but multiple times over the next few seasons. Uh, it seems to me something that we should probably do. Um, yeah. Um, okay, wait, we had him visit visit Dorthonian last season? Oh, I was forgetting that. Um, when did he... When, when did Treebeard show up in Dorthonian last season? Did we have another role for him? Am I... Am I, am I, I'm, I seem to be blanking on our... Treebeard cameo last season. Oh, he's in in the ending montage. No, no wonder I forgot. Okay, okay, right. That's a pretty mi- <laughs> that's a pretty minor appearance by Treebeard uh, during the montage. Sure. Okay, okay, right, right. Um, yeah, yeah. Stephen, I agree. We do need to be thinking about the timing of. Galadriel and Celeborn's departure uh, entirely from Doriath when they cross the mountains. Uh, yeah, 
Well, I'm not ready to think about that yet, but uh, um, but I agree. That's certainly something that we need to be that that, that we need to be thinking about. Um, uh, yeah. Oh man. Um, Nick is wanting us to set up a later fall for Galadriel, um, perhaps one that explains the Rohirrim's fear of her. He says. Hmm. That's pretty interesting. That is pretty interesting. At some point, we need to do a kind of big picture brainstorming about the trajectory that we're going to give to Galadriel's character, especially through the second and into the third ages. Um, which is going to have to confront the very difficult question, which Tolkien never did completely retcon, why is she not at the Battle of the Last Alliance? Um, of course, the answer to that is because the Last Alliance was invented before Goadriel was. But it's interesting to me even that even during his uh, revision stages at the end of The Lord of the Rings, like during the stages in which he was going back and adding Arwen in, that he never went back and added Goadriel to the list of folks who was on Mount Doom, you know, with Gilgalad and uh, Elrond, for instance. Um, but um, anyway, that's... Uh, that's obviously a later concern, but, but again, it's part of the bigger picture. It's part of the bigger, we need, we need a good consistent story about Galadriel. Obviously she's going to play an important role, uh, when we get to Celebrimbor and the dwarves of Moria. Um, but, and even just thinking about Galadriel at the end of the first stage, and her decision to remain in Middle Earth and why she remains in Middle Earth and what she does and the whole, you know, the business about maybe her not being invited back and, uh, you know, passing the test and the ban and all that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, we do need to, we do need to, to set that up there. I mean, a lot of that stuff is, uh, um, our second age questions, obviously, Marie. Uh, again, I'm just trying to think of. Yeah, we will need to set up the the broader trajectory of her character. Um, I don't think we're there yet. I don't think we need to think about that in this season. I mean, it's hard on the one hand because, um, that is, it's hard to just say, well, she's not in this season very much, so let's put that off until another season because she's not gonna be important in any other season. I mean, that is to say there's no reason from the text why she should be important in anything else moving forward. She's an extremely minor character. Um, you know, she she was only imperfectly or, or uh, partially retconned back into the Silmarillion at all. Uh, and so there are a few references to her, but there's little more uh, than this. Um, so, um, yeah... Yeah. Um, yeah, Nick, I mean, I do agree. We need to figure where, out where we're going with her character uh, or it's going to seem inconsistent. Yes. Um, okay. And I, Nick, I, well, okay. So let's, let's start off first things first by just thinking about relevance to this season. What's her relationship with men? What's her reaction? When the men come in, if she's in Osirian, she's on the front lines, right? She's going to be among the first, not like 
very first. She's not Finrod, um, but of course, she's Finrod's sister. Uh, so if Finrod is encountering, you know, Beor um, in Osiriand, uh, you know, in the in the general area there, and he knows that his sister is around, he's gonna talk to her, right? Um, so I would think that Goadriel uh, would, and then especially if we can, you know, work in the the unfriendship situation. Um, hang on a second. Let's let's go back one step. Can we think about the unfriendship situation? We've mentioned it, but how do we want to play that? How do we want to play the unfriendship on screen? How, where wherein does the conflict arise between the green elves and the men? We had the conflict between the dwarves and the green elves um, back in season four. Um, what are the similarities? What are the differences? The dwarves were emerging from the mountains and they were, you know, uh, logging basically, uh, and uh, they were they were taking out parts of the forest. Um, but I think, would think there's a significant difference between the men and the dwarves, right? I mean, differences which might go in a couple different ways. On the one hand, the dwarves were just like mining the forests as a resource. They just wanted wood, right? Uh, you know, and yet they, they, they did have need of wood. And so they were cutting down trees and dragging them underground and using the, the lumber, uh, in their building projects and such. Um, so the dwarves had, they weren't, they, they weren't living there at all. Right. With the men, um, it's, um, a different situation. They can be destructive, but they're not just going to be like wiping out whole sections of forest for no reason. They might be settling, right. And if they're settling, they will be clearing forest for agricultural land. Right. Um, so, but again, it's going to be different. Uh, you know, the, the men trying to, you know, if they're traveling through, how are they offending the green elves? Um, is the problem that they're settling? Um, uh, yeah, Rihanna, if they're trying to settle and establish farms there in Assyria, and they are going to want to be clearing parts of the countryside for their farms, uh, and the, uh, the elves, the green elves, would certainly not approve of that. Um, uh, how would we want to... Um, how would we want to, uh, um, how would we want to set it up? Um, I was thinking that the, the, again, the house of Hador, that was my suggestion. Um, and the reason, um, the reason I gave at the time why I didn't want the Haladin to be the ones who were the focus of the, uh, un- friendship of the green elves, uh, was that I wanted her, we, we were thinking of that as a setup for, we, we were talking, we we're discussing that explicitly in connection with Haleth's interaction with Karinthir. Um, and what I wanted from that was I wanted to preserve, I wanted to insist upon, um, her discernment in her relationship with Karinthir. I want her to reject Karinthir's offer, not because she's just biased against elves because of the experience with the green elves and that, you know, just as sort of an expression of a general distrust against elves, but rather as a piece of discernment on her part, just a personal distrust of Karinthir, that she is sufficiently insightful to basically say, yeah, no, 
I'm not um, I'm not down with this serving this guy. Right. Uh, you know, I don't trust the situation and we want to be on our own. Um, so. I, so that's why I, I, I was thinking it would be kind of cleaner uh, if we have, um, you know, if we if, if we didn't have that. And, and you know, we've got the the the, you know, the people who shall be the House of Hadar um, are the largest group anyway. So um, it's easiest in many ways, I think, uh, to make them be the ones encountering the green elves. Um, yeah. Um, and Mario, I agree. We don't want it to just look like a repeat of the dwarf green elf thing. Yes. That is also sort of a concern. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, and Maria, it does lead to the council. Thinking as we discussed the council, uh, you know, among the people who are imminently to become the House of Hador, um, one of the major, uh, you know, one of the major that, that you know we 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 had discussed three major kind of schools of thought among uh, that people. Um, the one Hador, of course, being the, Hey, let's ally ourselves to the elves and join the fight and go North and join the fight. Uh, there were those who wanted to just bail, right. And say, Beleriand actually kind of sucks. Let's get out of here and go back over the mountains. And then we had the group of folks who were going to fight, right. Who are interested in fighting, who are, who are saying like, no, let's, let's, uh, we can, we can establish our own place. And so, Marie, that is the other reason why I really like having this group be the ones who are the sort of the focal point of the uh, um, uh, of the conflict with the Green Elves, because it's one of the things that, you know, they have had, you know, they didn't strike first blood uh, with the elves. Um, They can easily see this as defending themselves. Right. They came over the mountains and immediately got set upon. Why should they? uh, you know, why, why shouldn't they fight back? Uh, you know, why shouldn't they establish their own, uh, their own place? Um, so, um, yeah, now, uh, I, Rihanna, I do remember that, uh, you know, in the Silmarillion, uh, the green elves don't attack the, uh, you know, the house of Hador's uh, because there are too many, right? Because they, they're afraid of them. They only, they attack the Haladin because there are fewer of them. Um, this I'm not too worried about uh, for a couple reasons. One, because I don't think one of the things that is going to characterize uh, the third house, right, the larger third house, is a lack of cohesion prior to the council, right? Um, that is one of the things that's going to lead to the council, I think, right, is this this desire on the part of the men to say, like, we gotta, we've got to we need to decide what we're going to do, but we all agree on the fact that we need to get together and do it right. We need to band together. We're, you know, they're, they're just, they're kind of coming over. They're not coming over in, they're not, they're not an army. They're not, they're not an army on the march. Um, They're a large group of people and they're fierce people. I mean, they, they do, you know, have warriors and such, um, but they're primarily looking to settle. Um, And I don't think they're, they need be marching all in like one, group again certainly not with uh, uh, with an army per se or as an army um, 
so having them kind of spread out enough, uh, besides which it doesn't even have to be the whole force that gets like attacked, um, you know, in detail by, uh, by the green elves. Um, it can be individual groups. I, I mean, we have them kind of settling through a whole large region, uh, there, uh, in Beleriand. So there can easily be those who move south into Assyria and, and then get into find trouble with the green elves at that point. Um, Exactly, outliers, Murray. That's that's just the thing. Um, yeah, yeah. Stephen is saying, might they think? Uh, Stephen uh, covers says, might they think that the elves are either uh, uh, tricked by Morgoth or even in league by uh, uh, with him? Well, sure. I mean, putting ourselves into the mindset of these men who have crossed the mountains, right? They have. They have lore. They're afraid of the shadow, right? They are looking for a place where the shadow does not extend, which, of course, is sort of the irony. They get to Beleriand and find, oh, this is where he lives, actually. Um, um, so they they know about the enemy and his servants. Um, and what do they find? They come over here and there are these, you know, woodland uh, things that they've, you know, have they met orcs before? I think they probably have met orcs before. Um, and... Um, and now they're getting attacked by, you know, arrows from the trees and stuff. Why, why shouldn't they assume that, you know, those who are attacking them um, are, uh, uh, you know, servants of the shadow whom they have been, uh, you know, again, whose power and influ- influence they have been fleeing? That seems to me perfectly logical. What, you know, uh, what is there to uh, uh, to lead them to think otherwise? Um, uh yeah. Now, Florian, they, they have met the Avari. Um, and yes, they have been friends with the Avari, but I can't think that that would be universal. Right. Um, so, I mean, two things there. First of all, um, I, I don't think that their history with the Avari is universally friendly. Um, probably. I don't see any reason why it must be. That That is to say. Um, but secondly, even if they do recognize the Green Elves as elves, like the Avari that they've already known, um, that doesn't necessarily mean they assume they're friendly, right? Um, uh, you know, they are, they're a different people, right? And what do they know about them? Um, Nick, yeah, there are definitely ways in which the elves could be much more terrifying than orcs to the strangers, right? Who don't know any different. Um, yeah. Um, Good. Now, Michael. Michael says, how does Hador go from unfriendship with the Green Elves to total alliance with the other elves? I don't think he does. And again, this is another uh, advantage to having the House of Hador. Again, the, the these people. I guess we need a we kind of need a thing to call them before they become the House of Hador after the uh, after the council. Um, I'll just call them the third group for now. Um, it's one other advantage of having this third people be uh, you know, not united, basically, be kind of scattered and uh, decentralized. Um, some of them will have that experience with the Green Elves. Hador himself does not have to be among them, right? And uh, among those people. Um, so that's not been his personal experience. Uh, and um, and anyway, he's quite young when he heads off. Um, the Estelaters, uh, uh, right? So the campers, exactly, right? Fine, Nick, that's great. We'll call them the campers. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, good. Um, 
Yeah, see, what no, Stephen H., I don't see at all why it should weaken his character in any way. Um, again, there are different place like you know the 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 campers right the campers are spread out among a wide different region many of them will have had different experiences we know i mean we were talking about the different elves coming and and introducing themselves and meeting uh the humans so there's going to be some of the campers all right who have had very positive uh, encounters with elves which leads them of course then to have the young and adventurous youths among them uh, go back among the elves and and uh, and and explore you know they all they'll want to see the the kingdoms of the elves for themselves and they'll be really imp- I mean surely they would be really impressed by like the arms and armor and the 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 raiment and stuff of the elves I mean the elves are going to look really impressive to the humans um, and those that come in and are friendly are going to are, are going to make a really good impression but not on all of them Right. There will be, you know, so there will be like those of the campers who were down in the Osirian, sort of the Osirian quarter, right, of the region where they're settled will have had a much more fraught relationship with the elves than those who live, say, up in the north. Right. Some will have encountered the Feanorians and so they'll have some other, you know, kind of uh, reactions. Right. Some of them might, I guess, some of them positive, some of them negative. Um, so there's plenty of scope for a really wide array of um, experiences that, you know, the campers as a whole are going to be having um, with um, uh, with the elves. So having Hador coming from one of those, uh, you know, one of those groups, one of those families, one of those, uh, you know, uh, settlements, uh, which has had really positive, you know, which just happened to be visited by one of the really good elf lords, right? Um, and, uh, you know, invited off and stuff. So, um, uh, so yeah, I think that that's, um, that's easy. Yeah, I, Florian, I agree with you. We need different believable perspectives for the council. Absolutely. All three of those perspectives um, that we're bringing to the council are perfectly viable perspectives, right? And um, it, it's easy to put ourselves, I think, in the mindset of the you know humans who have had these very different experiences some of whom feel like these elves are nothing but trouble and we should declare war on them i mean it would be interesting actually right some of the you know men who have lived down and been dealing with the green elves and the problems with the green elves um they might never even have seen like one of the feanorians in full armor right um so, you know, their whole impression of what it means to declare war on their neighbors uh, is, you know, to fight back against those largely unarmored, uh, uh, you know, bow shooting elves who are kind of, you know, hard to pin down and terrifying. But uh, um, but, you know, it seems like if you if you if you take the proper approach, you could probably fight them. Whereas those, again, who li- who have gone and, and, and uh, uh, visited the Feanorians and stuff would come back and be like, uh, yeah, no, let's not attack them. <laughs> let's not do this. It does not seem good odds on that particular uh, that 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 particular approach. So, again, there's going to be very different kinds of perspectives that they're going to have. And, you know, it, very easy to have strongly held opinions uh, with, you know, backing of large sectors of the people and, you know, who then all come to the council and uh, and and try to, you know, convince the others of their way of looking at things. So so again, this is this is to me that the fun opportunity for this group, this third group of men um, is we can, you know, you remember we've been wanting to think about what are the what are the kinds of relationships, the kinds of attitudes towards 
um, towards elves, the different kind of relationships between elves and men uh, that we can sort of highlight in the three different kindreds uh, of the Adine here uh, in the north. Um, you know, this one kind of gives us an opportunity to do everything, right? Like I be, all different perspectives are all kind of combined here. And the council then provides us the opportunity to kind of bring all of those together to a head and, and hear the, the sort of arguments and support for each of these different um, of these different perspectives, right? Um, uh, and I would think, Marie, I could easily imagine, you know, the council, like, you know, beginning with an impassioned address by, uh, you know, one of the Assyrian folks who has, you know, had like, you know, his family killed by the green elves, you know, and, and his, you know, telling stories of the, you know, the, 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 the arrows that come flying in the night and all, you know, all these things that, uh, uh, you know, not being able to be, being afraid to leave their house and, uh, and the, the sort of the terror and how they need to fight back and everything. And, uh, and then again, people who know the Feanorians next door to say like, when you say we should just attack the, you have no idea like what you're talking about. That would be such a bad idea to attack our neighbors in the North. Um, and uh, and then this could be then fuel for like all of the different perspectives on this, um, not just perspectives on like whether or not we're pro elf or anti elf, but like whether or not there's even any odds, whether it makes any sense to attack their neighbors, um, and they can be trying to figure out would they even fight, are you know what is the relationship between the Feanorians and the Green Elves? They wouldn't even really know uh, exactly what that is. Um, but anyway, this would all be fuel to support the argument that says. You know what? Let, let's just let's just go, right? Let's let, let's just leave. Uh, that's but this is not a. You know, we came here hoping to escape, right? We came here looking for a safer place to live. I think we've proven this ain't it, right? Um, whatever could be said for Beleriand, it's clearly not the land of peace and tranquility that we were looking for. So maybe. We should the obvious and safest thing to do is for us to decamp back over the mountains uh, and uh, make the best of the situation that we had over there. Um, uh, so, um, yeah, yeah. Um, good, Florian. Yeah, some will be disappointed that the light they sought is across the sea. Um, yes, I think that should definitely come up in the council. Um, the whole light across the sea business, have one of the wise among them. Um, remember, in the Athrabeth, we're told that it's the wise, the wise among this group uh, who have the, uh, um, the clearest lore uh, of the older days. Um, I know we were shifting Adonel uh, to the people of Bayor personally, you know, I, I, Adonel personally uh, into the Bayor camp. Um, but we can still have wise people among, uh, you know, the campers um, who are able to to say that. And then, uh, you know, who, who are talking about the light, um, you know, like, no, we, we need to seek that, you know, the light in the West uh, that they that their legends have told of. And then the elf friends among them can say, oh, yeah, actually about that. Right. You know, we've talked to the elves and they say, uh, no, uh, it's over the sea, actually. Um, yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Florian, there certainly will be some who prefer to go back, uh, uh, over the mountains, uh, to get away from Morgoth. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, preferring, yeah, that, uh, 
going back to the much easier relationship in general, I think easier relationship that they had with the Ovari. Um, okay. So now I see that several of you are concerned about, um, Rhiannon, you're asking, do we really want to have elves killing men? Well, how would the unfriendship of the green elves be manifested? Um, I mean, uh, I don't think that the green elves show their unfriendship to the men just by looking shocked and sad, <laughs> to, <laughs> to quote Mary. Uh, um, I don't think they're peaceful at all. Uh, I mean, I think what the text is clearly suggesting is that they are going to resist them, um, uh, that they consider them enemies. I mean, that's, that's, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, the, the warning that they are giving, it's like they go to Finrod. I, I I don't think that they're just going to like on first sight start shooting the men. Um, but are they willing to attack? Yeah, I def- definitely think that they are willing to attack. Um, and if we are going to have some of the men settling in Osirian or attempting to settle in Osirian and clear forest for uh, for farms and stuff like that. Um, the green, I think that we do follow the text in having the green elves first go intervene, uh, you know, ask one of the other elf lords to intervene like they do with Finrod, right? And say, get them to move on or else, right? And it, what, it's pretty clear to me that the or else in the text is or else we're going to start shooting them, right? Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Marie, I also don't think that they, they'd have any qualms, uh, about, uh, killing humans. Um, but, uh, but I agree they're, they're not going to be just, they're not, they're not going to shoot first and ask questions second. Uh, that I think is, is, uh, certainly something that we should show there. Um, but, um, uh, But yeah, I mean, I, 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 so, okay. Do we want one opportunity here? Well, coming back around to Galadriel and Celeborn here. What if we put Galadriel and Celeborn in Finrod's place um, as the ones that the Green Elves come to? This is especially logical if, um, you know, we have the spokesperson for the Green Elves um, uh, be, oh, darn it, I'm forgetting her name. What's her name? Galathiel? Um, Galathiel, yeah, thank you. Um, uh, Galathiel, Caliborn's sister. Um, you know, she, the fact that she would come to her brother and Galadriel, I mean, it's simple enough, right? She knows, it, it, it will be known to the Green Elves that Finrod has befriended the House of Beor, right? So one of the Noldor established friendships with a group of men, and they 
passed through peacefully, right? And went on with, and he, he took him home, right? With him. And okay. Um, and he was Galadriel's brother and her brother's married to her. So, you know, uh, going to ask for their advice and help and say, well, you know, uh, you know, hey, new sister-in-law Galadriel, uh, your brother befriended these other men and, and they passed through peacefully and we didn't have any issues with them. I really don't. Again, when I come back to the unfriendship and I come back to thinking about what exactly is going to inspire the unfriendship of the Green Elves, I have a hard time imagining that the Green Elves are going to be moved to violence just by the men passing through Osirian. Um, unless they are extremely destructive in the course of merely passing through, right? Unless they're like burning a road through Osirand or something like that. Um, I, I could see if there are enough of them and they're moving slowly enough uh, that they're like depopulating the beasts in the forest with their hunting to feed themselves as they go through. That I think would be an issue for the green elves. But again, mostly I I don't think they're going, they wouldn't have a problem with groups of men passing through where they would have, where the problem would come in would be if they want to settle, not necessarily because they hate having them as neighbors. I don't think that we want to depict the green elves as being merely xenophobic here. Um, but again, the, the whole, uh, stripping of the forest and, and, uh, 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 clearing it for agriculture is the thing that they would certainly not approve of. Um, uh, yeah. Rhiannon says, could they perceive that men are corrupted by Morgoth? I wonder, um, Well, or could they think that they are? Look, I mean, the initial impression, I mean, remember Finrod's first thought when he came across the humans was that they were some kind of orc, right? Um, uh, but, um, uh, so that they would be mistaken for orcs or for some other ser- some other servants of the enemy would be understandable. But Finrod is there to prevent that, right? And as far as the whole issue about the corruption by Morgoth, they're not corrupted by Morgoth. That's not exactly right. Um, uh, there is a darkness on them, but the darkness, uh, Morgoth had a hand in it, um, but he didn't... Uh, there's no parallel, for instance, to what he did with the orcs, for instance, right? Um, he didn't... Yeah, they're not exactly corrupted. They're not exactly corrupted. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, Philip, I certainly agree. Um, they, the humans, could be forgiven for thinking nobody lives here. Right. Because they don't see any buildings. Right. They don't say it's this looks like, you know, unsettled land to them. Uh, and it, in a sense, would be unsettled land. Um, and then they discover that the elves live there already. And that would be awkward. Um, yeah. Um, Yeah, exactly. No, Charlie, and you're right. The, many of the early men veered away from Morgoth's darkness and remember 
that's these people, right? The Adain are here because they have been fleeing from the shadow of Morgoth, right? Um, this group of people are here because they are the ones, in a sense, who are least corrupted by Morgoth. Now, we've already set the stage for when we've talked about um, what Morgoth did out in the East and how he has established. Uh, how he already began to establish, you know, the worship of himself and things and uh, some uh, uh, corrupt religions and things like that, which are going to be coming into play all the way through down into the Third Age, right? Sauron still uh, kind of building on the foundations of those things. Um, so, uh, but again, those who came... In, who made it into Beleriand are those who are who want out, those who want nothing to do. Uh, there are going to be out in the Far East, um, certainly f- Far East from the Beleriandic uh, standpoint, uh, in the Far East and South, lands where there are many men who do still worship Morgoth. Um, but this is not them. That's why they're here, because this is not them. Um, so, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, Florian, absolutely. They're still f- they're still fallen. Right. They still have this uh, shadow. They're still they're still mortal. Um, but um, uh, but yeah, I, I so I don't think that there sh- there shouldn't be an issue of them like sort of bearing a more a specifically more Gothian taint. We'll come back to this. Uh, we're going to come back to this in a couple weeks at least two, possibly four weeks. Um, uh, because when we talk about sort of the, the, the themes, um, uh, the larger themes, the, the elf and human issues, this is one of the things I want to, I want to come back to and talk about the whole mortality question and the assessment of the whole mortality question. Um, uh, anyway, so we, we'll, we'll come back and talk about that a little bit more later, but, um, um, yeah, Cecilia says, "What about a what about battle between two factions of the campers? Um, some want to stay and some want to move on. And the Green Elves see this, and the uh, the Kinstrife uh, angers and disquiets them. Uh, that that is interesting, um, and it certainly could help to convince them that these people are like no good, right? Um, and that like trying to become their friends is a losing gambit, right? Look at how they treat each other." Um, yeah, and I mean, I wouldn't want to have too much. Uh, um, I don't think we want to have like something like civil war among them, like big conflicts between factions within them, mostly because that's just complicated, and I don't know that we want to go that far. But, um, but we could have some acts of violence among them. I mean. Uh, yeah, exactly, Rhiannon. A fight, you know, uh, a fight breaks out in which several people die, and the Green Elves would just have to see that and be like, what are these creatures? I mean, that doesn't really happen among the Green Elves themselves. So um, they could draw some conclusions from that. Um, so ideally, it seems to me that when we're thinking about the unfriendship, ideally we want the Green Elves to be drawing conclusions which are at least logical. Right. So it it makes sense that they would think this and ideally have them be not wrong. Right. You know, they don't have to be completely in error about the men. Um, uh, I don't 
think we want to depict the green elves. Again, certainly not as um, uh, Florian, as you say, just sort of racist for abstract reasons. Um, yes, yes, I agree. We don't want to. We don't. We, as I said, we don't want to depict them as merely xenophobic. Ah, uh, these are strangers, and you know, even though. We could justify that with their history with the dwarves, right? And have, you know, some among the green elves be saying, like, see, look, this just shows, uh, you know, weird looking people coming out of, out of or across the mountains. You can't trust them. They're all no good, right? So uh, I have an idea. Let's just start shooting them as soon as we see them. Uh, I'm not saying that you couldn't make a consistent story out of them, but I don't like that story. I don't, I don't want to sort of do that uh, to... Um, to the green elves. Um, but, uh, um, anyway, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, Stephen, no, we don't want to have things escalating, uh, in, uh, civil strife among, the, <laughs> among the humans till they get to a tower of Kirithungal situation. No, that would be awkward. Certainly. Um, uh, exactly. Florian is suggesting that, you know, we, this, uh, could lead to just a strong reaction against anyone with facial hair. <laughs> yes, exactly. I don't think we want to go there. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think we want to do that. Um, but okay. So from the green elves perspectives, they see the humans coming through. My thought is that they, their first reaction is dismay uh, and like fear, they're afraid because they they're afraid that they're orcs, right? They're afraid that there are some other uh, servants of the enemy invading their forest from over the mountains. Um, that's a perfectly logical conclusion on their part, right? Um, they would see Finrod, and uh, uh, they, they you know they, they would see Finrod befriending them, and Finrod taking the house of Beor away, and they would be like, okay, okay. Fine. So they're not orcs, right? They're not orcs. Finrod convinces them that they're not orcs, um, but they're still going to be uncomfortable. And then when the uh, when the campers show up, um, when the campers show up, the green elves are going to probably, I would think, that they would start with the um, um, uh, uh, they would they would start with the the initial thought like, okay, let's we'll let them pass through, right? They're not orcs, so I guess they're okay, but they'll observe them, um, and they will be disquieted. They will be uncomfortable for a lot of reasons. Um, one could be, Cecilia, as you say, like they could see a fight. Um, they could see, or what if, um, what if they have, what if they do capital punishment? What if there's like, a th- like what if somebody gets hanged or crucified or something, right? I mean, like, what if they just have really harsh, uh, a really harsh legal code um, and somebody is caught doing something bad and is like, you know, hanged and left to hang or crucified or uh, has, uh, you know, or like, I don't know, like what if some kind of like uh, to the elves sort of really, um, uh, really brutal form of capital punishment, right? Um, and they come across like the corpse of this person who is left like hanging there by his own people. And they're like, dang, like what is wrong with these people? Um, and they would be disquieted. Right. Also, again, I would think that there would be a concern. The resources of the, I mean, there many of their friends, the beasts would be being hunted. The elves themselves are hunters. They're not, you know, 
Uh, they're not vegetarians necessarily, but again, there would be uh, a different attitude, right? There would be some wholesale hunting, which would be uncomfortable to them. The environment would be, you know, we can show places where they, you know, the men have left um, a kind of trail of disruption, uh, a, 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 um, a, a trail of dis- destruction uh, in their paths, uh, which again, to the elves would be uh, inexplicable. Um, even like, you know, they settle in a place for a while, right? Like a season or like a winter or something like that. Or not even necessarily a winter, but like there would be like stuff cut down and burned. And um, even just like one of the campsites where they stayed and they've wrecked the place. Like there's this whole field and uh, and thicket that have just been leveled by them when they just stayed the night there. Um, and they we could, you know, the green elves would be asking each other, like, what people's you know, like relate to the land this way, right? How could they, how could they do that? Uh, Marie, ex- exactly. That's why I was suggesting execution, capital punishment, because I would think that they would think that any kind of capital punishment was quite, of was, was quite brutal. Uh, you know, it's not something that they do. Um, uh, but um, yeah, yeah. Um, or, or beheading Stephen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, they could they could they could behead them and, um, you know, I, they don't even have to put their heads on spikes necessarily. I don't know. But um, uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, uh, yeah. So, yeah, Stephen H. says, unless you're Turgon, yes. That, of course, is an interesting thing, right? And Stephen, you bring up a fantastic point, which I think is a really good reason to use this as a as a subplot, right? If we uh, if we have if we show an elvish distaste for the idea of capital punishment, right? It does set up the capital punishment of Aeol really interestingly, right? That's not going to happen until near the end of the season, um, and. One of the things that we wanted to accomplish in this season was some red flags for Turgon, right? Now, I don't think that the execution of Aeol is a bad, horrible, wrong thing, right? But, again, I just think that could be interesting um, as a kind of... uh, uh, I think we could play that as a red flag uh, in some fairly interesting ways. Um, Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I don't know, Philip. I don't know. Um, Philip is saying these are the forefathers of the Numenorians, among whom murder was unknown until the latter days. Is it though? Is it though? Here now? Um. I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, murder can be, you know relatively unknown in Numenor until the latter days, but that's different. Um, you know, yeah. Florian says Brondir disagrees. Exactly. Right. Yeah. No, I think we have lots of reasons to think, um, uh, even without the Easterlings, you know, Brada and the, and, and the other Easterlings, even without them, um, there's plenty of reason to think that, the, I mean, think of the, you know, the, the outlaws that, you know, Turin takes up with. Um, uh, and I agree, Rhiannon, that execution is not the same as murder. Um, 
in fact, again, from the human's perspective, their strict and unforgiving moral, uh, you know, a legal code is one of the things that separates them. Right. They are not they they don't just allow anything to to go. Right. They have a very uh, a very strict moral code. Um, uh, and one of the ways in which they express this is this sort of there are some things for which they have a zero tolerance policy. I mean, that again, I think it's an interesting opportunity for us to show different perspectives, right? Again, ideally, we don't want the men to look horrible and we don't want the green elves to look horrible either, right? We want both of their perspectives to be understandable. So if from the human perspective, we have them being uncompromising with something horrible, like maybe uh, the person who is executed was like a rapist or something like that, right? So if somebody commits rape, uh, remember, that's an issue. Um, that's an issue with the outlaws that that Turin takes up with, right? They're known for that, uh, for capturing, uh, you know, young women who are out on their own. That's remember, that's what Turin in, uh, you know, in in the Children of Hurin and in the uh, the Book of Lost, uh, not the Book of Lost Tales, sorry, I mean Unfinished Tales uh, version uh, of the Narn, uh, Turin prevents a rape, right, uh, from those. So um, uh, anyway. Um, uh, and Nick agreed. That's another thing that's unheard of among the elves, uh, right? But again, so among the humans, right? Uh, they're just like there's somebody who commits a horrible crime, say rape, right? Uh, and they exercise justice upon, they execute justice upon him, right? Um, because they're a good society, right? And they have no tolerance with that kind of behavior, uh, and they live in a hard world, right? The hard world that they have lived in in their travels, uh, and so they string him up or whatever, you know, they hang him, um, and they leave his corpse there in shame, right? Because, like, they are heaping shame upon those who commit such horrible crimes. So they, we can even show the people who do this, like the the magistrate who, you know, condemns them, that you know, the what, however their judicial process is going to work um, as very upright, right? Very admirable, very noble. Um, and, uh, uh, and you know, he is sentenced. And then the green elves come, but the, all the green elves see is them, you know, killing uh, and stringing up the body and, and leaving the body of one of their, um, uh, one of their, uh, uh, one of their own. And yes, Marie, as you say, on the, on the road as they, they don't have jails, like they prison, not really an option. Um, so yeah, I mean, it makes all kinds of sense that they would have that kind of legal code. Um, but again, to the green elves from the outside, they don't understand, right? Apart from the fact that Nick, as you say, they don't have rape either. Um, uh, but but again, they wouldn't they wouldn't hear the deliberations, nor would they understand it if they did hear it. Right. They don't even know the language. Um, so. Uh, um, so, yeah, so they would just see the execution and would be horrified. Right. And they would see the corpse hanging there and they would be astounded uh, at the brutality of these people. Um, I mean, I think that's kind of um, um, I think that's kind of interesting. Um yeah. Um, well, no, Stephen, elves are unfamiliar with rape. Yes, we're going to get something like that with Kelligorm. Um, uh, uh, yes, we are going to get something like that with Kelligorm, uh, with Luthien later on. But that doesn't make that... It's That's one of the reasons why that moment is really important. Uh, because it is... 
one of the extremely few examples uh, of this. Tolkien was pretty firm on that. Um, but um, yeah, no, Mariel, that's exactly what I'm thinking, that the green elves only see the hanging corpse. Like when the green, when the, when the, when the campers leave, right? When they, when the campers decamp and move on, they leave behind this corpse hanging in a tree. Uh, and the green elves would just, yeah, I mean, holy cow, that would be horrible. So there are lots of reasons why the green elves would be uncomfortable with them, right? But my thought here is, again, that the, the way that this goes, so they've learned from Finrod, they're not orcs. Um, and they're, so they're willing to give the campers the benefit of the doubt when they come across the mountains, right? They don't attack them or anything. Um, I don't think that they would approach them because they're pretty shy, the green elves, right? They kind of want to keep to themselves. So I think that they would kind of hide from them as is described in the text. Um, And, but they would watch. They would definitely watch, right? As the campers come through. And we could show them being uncomfortable and increasingly uncomfortable, as time went on, um, the execution thing, I think, would be a really neat little uh, plot point. Um, also, we would show the destruction. I mean, we could wrap that all into one. Um, uh, we could wrap. The, oh, Cecilia, that's really interesting. Uh, Cecilia's thinking that the hanging corpse could sound could look. I mean, one as they're trying to understand that. Right. Like, what is um, uh Cecilia's thinking that some of the green elves could think that uh, the hanging corpse is like a, a, a sacrifice to Morgoth. Like, would not th- is not this how his creatures would behave? You know, was this a human sacrifice, essentially? Um, maybe, maybe they would. Um, so, anyway, so I, I would think actually in this one moment we could have, uh, we could squeeze all of the discomfort of the elves of the green elves uh, with the campers into one spot. Like that is they've moved on from a campsite and they come to their campsite. And first thing, the first thing they're doing is they're looking around and they're just seeing the destruction, right? No group of elves on the march would ever do that. Would ever just clear stuff and burn stuff and leave this wound on the countryside where they were. Right. Um, And you could have the green elves talking about how it's going to take years of the sun before this glade will once again be uh, be free and clean and joyful as it once was, um, and um, uh, and then they'll find the corpse, right? Then they'll find the the, the hanged corpse, and uh, uh, you know, be the more uncertain about this. Uh, Mariel, it is possible. Mariel's thinking uh, uh, if we wanted to go the sacrifice angle, uh, perhaps. Uh, have the corpse be burned um, uh, and so that they find the the charred bones. But I wouldn't want it to be mistaken for a normal funerary rite, um, which, of course, we could also show a normal funerary rite, which the elves would not understand um, because they wouldn't understand about the whole mortality issue. Um, but uh, the... Uh, yeah, I mean, especially, yeah, it could be burned at the stake. But I don't know, I kind of like the hanging corpse um, just for them to find... A fresh, or possibly not 100% fresh corpse, uh, uh, still hanging in the tree, uh, and this this would be uh, all manner of repulsive to them. Um, 
Yeah, I kind of like the hanging thing, but I, I could be talked into, uh, you know, a burning at the stake or something like that. But again, it, we don't want the we don't want to make the people look overly cruel. I think hanging seems a, a comparatively clean that they should have a strong moral code seems to me a good thing since they are a good people um, that they would do capital punishment seems to me inescapable under the circumstances. If they're going to have a strong moral code, it's going to have to have teeth and what other teeth can they get? Again, they, as Marie said, they, they don't have jails, right? They can't do that. So, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and yes, uh, hanging corpses would send a strong message. Yes. To the rest of the people. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. Good. Stephen covers says one of the reasons hanging stuck around so long is precisely because it was considered more humane than many other execution types, uh, styles. Yes, exactly. Um, so yeah, so we, 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 we give them a relatively humane, um, uh, hanging, uh, you know, form of execution. But again, from a green elf perspective, seeing a, a you know a a beginning to decompose corpse swinging from a tree uh, would not look merciful at all. Um, they would not get the impression of a uh, you know a a stern but moral people uh, from that. Um, yeah. Anyway, so uh, yeah. So in one scene, we could get the elves disquiet, right? Their discomfort with them. But I would think that still their conclusions would be as long as they go, right? What, you know, we don't want to... Finrod was probably right. Like, I'm sure it's okay. Uh, but this is... Um, uh, we just don't want them living here. And so as long as they continue to move, they're okay. The real unfriendship would then begin when some of them start to settle, when some of them start to settle down. Now, uh, Nick, I remember you were saying earlier on that the campers uh, don't necessarily strike you as uh, agricultural. Um, uh, so you were thinking of them being more herders instead of uh, farmers? Um, maybe. I mean, I could, I could, honestly, I could see some of both. Um, but, uh, in any case, uh, herders also prefer open country, right? Um, but, um, yeah, no, Marie, I certainly agree that on the, while on the move, they had, they had to be doing more. Uh, hunting and herding uh, than farming, certainly. Um, I'm sort of imagining them settling down to become farmers uh, when they do settle down. And by the way, this could be one of the things, um, one of the ways in which some of the elves show friendship to the humans, right? Um, the you know the the those among the campers who have had good experiences with elves. Um, some of the good experiences that they they could have had could have been, uh, you know, elves who came along and taught them agricultural techniques, um, helped them to learn to grow things. Yeah, Florian was just thinking the same thing. Um, uh, them learning agriculture from the Noldor. Sure, sure, why not? Um, uh, so, real tension would begin... Um, with the green elves, if they were going to settle down. Um, 
if we wanted to avoid armed conflict entirely, if we do not want any elves, any of the green elves actually attacking the men, um, at least not in force. And I agree, I don't think we want a battle or anything like that. Um, certainly not with like the main body or, or, or that sort of thing. I would think that they would they would see them coming through and they would be worried. So when Galatha would come to Galadriel and Celeborn would be as they are passing through and they're beginning to settle down in various places and Galatha would come to them and say, look, we're concerned. We have these new neighbors, right? And we, we, we've, we have we have we have concerns. We have concerns about the new neighbors, right? Um, and some of them are wanting to move back to the forest, near the for- under the eaves of the forest, in the forests. Um, uh, and she would say she would then give to Goadriel and Celeborn the kind of ultimatum that the Green Elves deliver to Finrod in the text, right? Um, uh, like that that we are she can then deliver to them the we are their unfriends line, right? Uh, and what she would be advising to Goadriel and Celeborn is to say, look, if we would value your help, um, you too, go, I mean, Ms. Noldorin's sister-in-law here, um, you have uh, connections with the other Noldor, some of whom have established relationships with some of these people, um, could you intervene with them and ask them not to live in Osirian to just, to, you know, because if they do, she could say, if they, if they remain here, um, if they try to occupy our forest, there's going to be bloodshed, um, and it's going to get bad. Um, uh, yeah. Um, now, what would Goadriel's perspective be? What's Goadriel's attitude to men? What do we think about that? We don't need to decide Goadriel's entire trajectory, but what's the next step for her character? The first step. So we had Goadriel, we had ambitious Goadriel, right? Goadriel, who was setting out, um, who was kind of inspired by Feanor's speech, but was sort of almost more in rivalry with Feanor, um, who was in closer rivalry with Fingolfin, you know, who sort of fancied herself as a potential leader among the Noldor, um, one who was setting up to establish, um, to carve out a niche for herself, a niche of, of influence for herself among the other Noldor by, you know, appointing herself, essentially getting herself appointed, uh, the first ambassador to the, to the Sindar. Um, but then we saw that kind of collapsing under her own emotional crisis during season four. Um, and then her long recovery from that with the help of Celeborn, which culminates, uh, in their, uh, marriage, um, I agree, Marie. She has to go back to wanting a realm of her own at some point. I don't think she's left that entirely. Um, interesting. Yeah, Margaret um, and Stephen Cover are both thinking she could be having some flashbacks to the kinslaying. Um, 
especially when she hears the strung up corpse story um, that was going to look like kinslaying to her, um, to all the elves, it would look like kinslaying. Um, Florian is suggesting that we should have Galadriel start off uh, with a general, uh, a general anti-man perspective uh, and have uh, some development in that regard throughout the next seasons. Um, yeah. Question. Do we want Galadriel involved? When do we want her to leave Beleriand? Or to make this... We could choose if we wanted to. We could choose to have Goadriel out of Beleriand entirely. Um, I like the idea of having her leave before the sack of Doriath. Yes, after Luthien's death, real final death, second death. Um, that makes sense to me in several ways. Uh, but I'm real loath to have Goadriel pass out of our story for many seasons, which she would. I mean, unless we're going to be starting to introduce a meanwhile an Eriador subplot of our seasons, um, you know, in that time, and, and that seems to me challenging. Um, yeah, um... On the one hand, Galadriel, two of our main characters are going to vanish soon, right? Like within the next couple seasons are going to vanish from, at least they vanish from the Silmarillion storyline, right? And that's uh, Galadriel and uh, Galadriel and Sauron, both, right? Are, you know, they pretty much vanish off the Silmarillion scene, Um I'm awful reluctant to be without either Sauron or Goadriel for, you know, five years or something like that. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, well, anyway, um, I we don't have to decide that tonight, obviously. That's not a season five question in particular. Um but I certainly agree that Galadriel and Caliborn should at least be around long enough. Um, it seems to me that the earliest at which we would want them to leave Beleriand would be, as Florian was suggesting, after Luthien dies for the second time. Um, she should be around for the end of the Luthien story. I think for Galadriel and Celeborn to know Baron and Luthien in Osiriand, um that seems to me very sensible. And of a, a, a one certainly logical springing off point for them to go from there over the mountains, right? Um, okay, so definitely that's an er the earliest point at which they could leave. So we have a little bit of time uh, anyway before we, uh, we get there. Um, that's a 
season six or possibly a season seven question. Um, but the reason I wanted to think about that is I wanted to think uh, I was prompted about this Florian by your earlier comment about her starting off not liking men and then uh, have de- having development over the next few seasons. My question is, well, how many seasons do we have uh, of her there? Um, because really, it's going to be about Baron in particular, right? Um, uh, yeah. Um, hmm. Hmm. Um, going back to Galadriel's overall perspective, and by the way, don't think I am not unaware of the fact that it's kind of ironic that I said, we've just got to polish up a few minor characters tonight, and then our very first minor character we've spent already talking about but that's because our first minor character is galadriel one of the most the biggest most important characters in the entire series right um it's um it this is a big deal i know besides which again i wanted to work out the green elves uh situation we kind of waved our hands at that before um and i think it's fine um exactly steven she's the most major minor character definitely okay um galadriel's she wanted to rule of her what if okay ru- ruling a realm of her own we talked about her returning to that what if she's only just now really starting with that that is to say before we saw her being ambitious among the noldor right um one of the ways in which she can have changed since the very beginning of season in the end of season three and or you know, in season three and the beginning of season four um, is that she's no longer trying to set herself up uh, in a leadership role among the Noldor. She has no more ambitions of that at all, but she would not at all have given up any ambition of having a rule of her own, uh, a kingdom to ruling a kingdom of her own. And in fact, her time in Doriath could have given her a clearer vision of that, right? That now she no longer... She's no longer a rival of Fingolfin, right? She doesn't, you know, she's not trying to take over from her uncle or uh, one-up her uncle anymore. Um, She's not even really trying to establish herself as preeminent in any way among her uh, kin. Her new, which will feel to her modest, right, Uh, ambition, would be to establish a realm like Doriath. Right. Um, and to rule like Melian, essentially, to be set herself up as a mini Melian uh, in a new kingdom uh, of her own. Um, um, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So, um, I don't think she's she's not there yet. I mean that she's not she's not going to be trying to establish a realm. She she's not at any point going to try to establish. Let me finish my sentence and then I'll disagree with myself because I just had a second thought there. I was going to say she is not at any point going to be trying to establish a realm of her own in, um, in, Beleriand. But then, he pauses and thinks to himself. 
What about a Syriand? What if that is an idea that grows slowly? The green elves have no king, right? They have no roar since Denethor died. Um, what if this moment when Galathil comes to Galadriel and Celeborn becomes sort of the first moment where she gets the seed planted of like, maybe, maybe they need some benevolent guidance here in Osiriand. Um, uh, you know, maybe this is... I, I don't see this as a hostile takeover. I don't think that she's going to be, you know, being like, congratulations, I'm your queen now. Um, it's something that... I'm not... Again, I'm, I'm not saying we want to change the story to establish the realm of Galadriel. But what if she has a notion? You know, what if her relationship with the Green Elves develops in this way? I mean, just think for one thing. This is a really close parallel, right? I mean, the... the Lothlorien is going to be her ruling a nation of Green Elves, right? I mean, like, that's going to be a thing with her. Um, uh I could even imagine when she does finally decamp and go across the mountains into Eriador that some of the Green Elves come with her, right? That some of the Galathrim, uh, some of those who are here among in Osirian could be future Galathrim, potentially. Um, I, again, I'm not wanting to do anything radical. I'm not, okay, I'm not introducing like a major political dimension here. What I'm thinking of is the evolution of her character and uh, like what she does. Um, Nick, exactly. That's exactly the kind of thing that I'm thinking of. Um, Nick says, if they keep coming to Galadriel and Celeborn with their problems, she's got to start feeling like that's where this is going, right? Yeah, I mean, she could see the need for guidance that she has wisdom to offer, which they would appreciate. It's not, she's not like forcing herself upon them. This is not a usurpation on her part. Um, she would just she would see this as a um an opportunity to help them right uh and she would she would love Osirian itself like i think that she would um uh she would kind of love the place and 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 she could have a good relationship with the green elves i mean the first thing we could establish in this season is you know we we've got the in-law thing right with Galathil and Galadriel um they're getting to know each other in this season during the honeymoon, right? Um, and because um, that's what everybody wants on their honeymoon to go live with their in-laws. Um, but anyway, right? They, um, uh, I think that Galathiel would have a great deal of respect for Galadriel, um, and the other green elves would. I mean, why not? They would really like her. Um, Nick, exactly. She can help them to maintain the status quo, which the men threaten. Um, yes. Yes. Um, yeah, I'm kind of liking this idea. Setting, you know, at the very least, we can show her relationship with the Green Elves of Osiriand paves the way for what is going to happen later on, right? Later, when she leaves and goes east and establishes her new realm, those who love her most, those who admire her most, those who want to follow her, and who do basically accept her as their as their liege, right, as their lord, um, 
they're going to be the ones who go with her, obviously, right? And they're going to be the core of the Galathrim, the 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 the, the culture of the Galathrim that's going to be, right? Um, yeah. Um, yeah, Stephen Cover says she's establishing a cult of personality. Kinda. Kinda. Um, yeah. Yeah. Kinda. Anyway, so, yeah. I kind of like this. I kind of like putting Galadriel in this position. So her relationship with the men, therefore, would be a green elf-oriented position, right? She is on the side of the green elves against the men. And there is much that she would dislike about them. But at the same time, she's no fool, right? She's not going to be dumb about them. I think that she would be the one who would perceive. So she would understand. I would think that she would be the one who would comprehend, who would figure out um, the hanging, for instance, right? Um, she would be the one who could go back and explain to Galathil and others of the Green Elves. Yeah, they're not. This was not a pagan sacrifice, actually. Right? Kind of looks like that. I know this is really appalling uh, to us, but actually, uh, no. This is um, this is a, a believe it or not. This is a kind of a sign that they're good guys, actually. Um, but of course, the Green Elves would then be like, "Well, then, like, why are they raping each other and stuff?" And she'd be like, "Fair point." Um, Again, they would all be, she would be on their side in not really admiring them. Um, but I, again, I don't think, I think that, you know, having her be the one to kind of come to understand this. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Nick says that there does seem to be at least some level of Goadriel worship amongst the Galothrim. Not even sure why I've always felt that. Yeah, I, I mean, look, we... One of the most recurring political dynamics in Tolkien's world is member of superior society goes among an inferior society and is accepted as their lord. That happens a lot, right? Whether you're the Numenorians in Gondor, or you're, you're uh, uh, Galadriel in Lothlorien, or you're uh, Orifer and Thranduil in Mirkwood. Or, I mean, this happens. This happens a lot in Tolkien's world. And let's face it, this is one of the political dynamics that's really uncomfortable, to modern people. Like, that's going to be hard. Um, it's going to be hard to show that kind of thing without its being uncomfortable. Um, and to some extent, I don't want to hide from the discomfort of that. Um, I also don't want... I think there are ways to... One can characterize that as a mere kind of imperial... Uh, uh, can oversimplify that as a kind of imperialism Um which I think is not really true to what's going on in the text. I, I definitely do feel a strong impulse to resist a sort of simplified condemnation of that whole dynamic. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, I I exactly, Marie. It has very uncomfortable um, uh, imperialist uh associations, right? Um, but, um, 
Okay, so... Um, yeah, I, Nick, I agree. I am also okay with making the audience uncomfortable with what Goadriel does between now and the Lord of the Rings. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I always have in mind uh, playing the long game on her rejection of the ring, right? I mean, that's that's... We're building up to that, right? That moment with Frodo um, uh, is going to be incredible when we finally get there, right? It's going to be the culmination of a long, long story. Um, but um, uh, anyway, uh, so... Yeah, Um Okay, so anyway, like I said, I, I'm, I, I bring this up not because I want to talk about all the imperialism stuff right now uh, or kind of deal with all of those different cultures and stuff. It's slightly tangential to it. But again, as I say, we have an opportunity here to begin to sort of show that. And if it just there's no reason it can't begin in friendship. But but Nick, I also am totally fine with people being uncomfortable with Galadriel. There's a lot to be uncomfortable about with Galadriel. She is she is always um, someone who could become that dark queen that she describes in her speech, right, to Frodo. Um, that's always a possibility. And there should be moments in her story when it looks like she's this far from that, right? Um, um, so not yet. Not yet. Uh, but... But we begin setting that up. So yes, having establishing them in Osiriant, having her begin to be, to show her usefulness, to show her wisdom among, and have her wisdom and insight respected by the Green Elves, um, but also have her accepted not just as an outsider, right? But have her um, sort of embraced by the Green Elves, uh, her and Caliborn both embraced by the Green Elves. Um, and I agree, Cecilia, Caliborn is not just a silent sidekick. We're resisting Caliborn as silent sidekick, and here I've been talking about Galadriel as if she's a, uh, as if she's a totally independent operator, and she's not. Um, uh, but I think there's also no question that she's the one who takes the lead, right, uh, in these things. It's not... Um, it's it's going to be Galadriel and not Celeborn that the Green Elves are going to, or at least many of the Green Elves are going to be kind of gathering around, right? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, good. Exactly. Nick says the five people watching the show who are unfamiliar with the Lord of the Rings should be really tense about that scene with Frodo. Absolutely. Absolutely. They totally should. Um, okay. So, yeah. Um, but see, here's the thing. Here's my sort of, I don't know if it's a solution, but here's my thought about that, Cecilia, about Celeborn's character. In my mind, here is the key. The key to making Celeborn's character consistent with the story of Galadriel and Celeborn as we get it in The Lord of the Rings and in Unfinished Tales, and yet not having Celeborn just be a cipher. We've already taken the first steps, right? Celeborn distinguished himself by his devotion to Galadriel, right? By his empathy for Galadriel. In other words, like being Galadriel's support structure, 
right, is kind of what where he established his character during season four. That's how he, he that, that's what he made a name for himself for, right? And he put that above in a spectacular scene, uh, right, towards the end of the season. He put that above, he put being Goadriel's support system above even his friendship with Fingal, right, which led to strife temporarily. Um, so I see moving forward, I see Celeborn. Not as just, as you say, Cecilia, the silent sidekick, not just somebody who uh, just kind of trails along silently behind Galadriel all the time, um, but somebody whose primary focus is still on supporting her, you know, who um, I think that he sees her as a leader. You know, he does defer to her. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I think that that's and so here I think again what we sh- what we should show what Celeborn's role should be um, should be helping to helping Galadriel's relationship with the Green Elves and helping them to accept her, right? Um, helping them to because they might feel a little bit uncomfortable. I mean, obviously they're okay talking to Finrod, right? They don't distrust Finrod, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean they want him to move in. Right, um, that they accept him, um, uh, you know, in that, uh, uh, in that whole, you know, in their in their world, in their realm, um, and he would help again through his, you know, with his and so his sister Galathil is really she's been since the death of Denethor, our, you know, sort of spokesperson Green Elf, right. Um, do we need other green elf characters? I mean, like named green elf characters, like other major roles. Do we need other speaking roles for green elf characters? Um, we probably will want some minor characters, I suppose. But um, um, yeah, <laughs> Michael says, yeah, in a in a way, it's just the inverse, you know, of the old sort of sexist saying: "There's a strong woman behind every strong man." Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. That's kind of exactly the role I see for Celeborn, really. Um, but, um, anyway, yeah, I don't think we need any, I don't think they're really, really important, uh, personalities that we need among the other green elves yet anyway. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, yeah, we'll have speaking roles, but again, I don't see necessarily another, like, uh, character per se. Like again, like another personality among the green elves that we really have to bring forward here. Um, especially since certainly for now, for these initial stages of this relationship that we're starting here in this season, we can begin by having the the relationship between Galadriel and Galathil can be the thing which kind of stands for her acceptance among the Green Elves. Because it would be natural enough if we show Galathil accepting her and profiting from her advice and appreciating her help. That sets us up so that the next time in season six, when we see Galadriel among uh, the Green Elves of Osiri and we can see her like being generally accepted, right? And having a, having an accepted position within their society, that would seem like a very natural leap from, you know, the acceptance by Galathiel uh, there. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Yes, and sorry, somebody else, what Stephen H. was talking about this too, Marie. Um, both Stephen H. and Marie are saying, we do have to remember, Galathiel is going to end up in Mirkwood, not in Lothlorien, right? She is not going to remain one of Galadriel's satellites 
for the rest of you know her her long life, right? Um, so there will be a falling out at some point. There will be a point at which Galathiel is going to remove herself from both Galadriel and her own brother, Kelborn, right? Um, yeah, but that could be any time between now and, uh, I mean, goodness, that could even be, that could be related to the War of the Last Alliance, for crying out loud, right? So that could come substantially later. We'll see. Um, I have a kind of inkling, I have a kind of inkling that uh, Orifer might play a role there. That's one of the reasons I was thinking about the Last Alliance. Um, let's wait until we get Orifer involved, and I think maybe things might start to become a little bit clearer there. I don't even necessarily, by the way, I don't think it's unavoidable to have the um, the ending, you know, Galathiel ending up in Mirkwood as necessarily being the result of a bad thing. I don't think that she and Galadriel have to have a have to have a, a spat, like a real permanent falling out. Um, it could be a positive choice on Galathiel's side. Um, uh, yeah, again, I'm thinking about some kind of relationship, not necessarily a romantic relationship, but some kind of relationship between her and Orifer, which would lead her to uh, join to, you know, to get a branch off from her brother and sister-in-law and join to the future. Cause I mean, those are going to be the two major, uh, you know, the two major elf groups, right? Um, uh, well, I mean, well, okay. I mean, three, I, I, three, I'm, I'm accepting the, you know, the remnants of the Noldor that, you know, the Gilgalad faction, um, Gilgalad rules the, you know, the, those who are, the linear descendants of the rest of Beleriand, but the other elves, obviously we've got the elves of Mirkwood and the elves of Lothlorien. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, Cecilia is wondering if, you know, Celeborn's sister is this sort of prominent member of the green elves. Um, why do the green elves not gravitate to him? Um, uh, because Galadriel is kind of my answer to that, right? Um, uh, he doesn't, he's not a, he's not a leader. I mean, honestly, that could be another, um, yeah, because Galadriel is obviously awesome. I think Celeborn is an introvert for one thing, right? I mean, I just, I, 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 and it's not that I want to say, like, the difference between Galadriel and Caliborn is that he's an introvert and she's an extrovert, but that's one of them, right? Um, he does not want to—he has no ambition to be a leader. Um, uh, so, yeah, I, I think that he—again, uh, he doesn't have to be weak. Um, as goodness knows, I am would be very far from saying that, like, introversion correlates with just weakness of character, right? Not at all. Um uh, but he doesn't put himself forward. Um, that I think should be is you know still um, is, exactly. He's a wise counselor, uh, Nick. That's his role. He was a wise counselor. He was uh, the he was this rock solid support for Thingol. Thingol relied on him. Right now, Goadriel is going to be relying on him, um, and this is going to be why she is going to be saying with no trace of irony in her voice. I, you know, Lord Caliborn is wise and the giver of, uh, you know, and, and a great giver of gifts. Um, 
you know, that's, yes, she appreciates his wisdom. Um, and others will too. Uh, but he's never going to be the rallying cry. He's never going to be the one that people gather around. Uh, it's just, that's just not him. Um, so back to the question of Goadriel and men, because we've got to wrap up here soon, <laughs> having finished half of one slide. But I, I, no regrets. This has been fantastic. Um, Goadriel, I don't think we need to make her... I don't think we need to drive her to one pole or the other. Like She doesn't have to be a Finrod-like supporter of men. She doesn't have to be like embracing Finrod's big picture. Oh, men are awesome. By all means, let's bring them in. Uh, nor does she have to be single, no men, please. I want nothing to do with them. Um, she can be kind of in the middle there. She can be... Um, uh, um, disturbed by them, right? She sees, she will see quite truthfully, quite accurately, um, the great potential for evil in them. She will see there is a, there's the, these, they could go wrong very easily, right? Our relations with them could go bad very easily. Um, uh, this could, this, but at the same time, this could be a really good thing. Right. There's, you know, there's also she would again, I kind of like the idea of her investigating, essentially, you know, she and Celeborn investigate the whole dangling corpse thing and learn about them um, uh, and discover that, OK, so good news is they're not as bad as you were afraid of, um, but you're also kind of not wrong. You know, uh, it, it would be best uh, for them. And so she could then go to, you know, they can then go to uh, the men. Goadriel and Celeborn can then go to the men and and say, look, um, we like you. We appreciate you. Um, but don't come to us here. It's going to be bad if you do. Um, there's going to be, uh, in order to prevent strife and misunderstanding. It would really be best if you did not settle here. Um, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. Marielle says, the good news is they have a, they have a sense of justice. The bad news is they need harsh penalties in order to enforce that sense of justice. Yeah. I mean, it really is kind of a good news, bad news situation. Um, so yeah, um, that I would think would be her. And so she would end up just kind of um, and not exactly neutral, exactly, but uh, but undecided, you know, open minded in both directions, not uh, falling all over herself to try to make a close ally of the elves, not going to live among them, uh, you know, and trying to guide and befriend them. Um, interesting that she doesn't actually. Does that occur to her? Does she reject that actually? Um, does it just not occur? Hmm. Not sure. But anyway, um, but at the same time, she doesn't, you know, she's not anti-human either. And I think that she could, when she, they would go back and visit Doriath and she would encounter Thingol and Melian with, you know, she would know about Thingol's ban. Right. And I would think that Galadriel would disapprove, um, that she would think that that was 
bad policy on Thingol's part, um, that his attitude towards the men is misguided um, and only likely to lead to bad things, right? Um, only bad stuff can come from, the, from this kind of prohibition. Um, there is the potential of things being good with men, but, um, uh, but they, but he's, he's, he's shutting off any possibility of, uh, of a positive connection, um, by doing that. Um, okay. Well, we didn't even get to Thingol. That's okay. We'll start with Thingol and Kierden. I don't want to leave Kierden because there are some really interesting, um, concepts about Kierden that we need to touch base on. Cause I agree, uh, with Kierden, um, we want to come back and discuss, remember Kierden's vision, Kierden's calling, right? Kierden, uh, Kierden stayed not out of apathy, but for a reason, because he felt that he had a calling that he had to fulfill to be Kierden, the shipwright, uh, making ships in order to help elves go across the sea. And it really looks like that's a non-starter, right? Um, this vision that he was pretty confident that he had this destiny that he felt that he was fulfilling is now kind of being shut off, right? Uh, there, there is no going back across the sea. How does he take that? Right. How does he take that? Um, so, um, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, I, I agree. That would be a fascinating way to kind of follow up cured in, Kierden's role is discovering the kinslang, discovering the reality of the new of the of the new Valinorian situation, the death of Olway. Remember, he and Olway were like a team, right? Olway on the one side and him on the other. Now Olway's dead and Valinor is cut off. What now? There, um, it makes perfect sense to me that Kierden, um, our Kierden, with the story that we gave to him back in season two, um, is going to be facing a, a crisis now, an identity crisis, right? Um, a sort of um, occupational crisis, right? What's he do? What's his point? Um, so I definitely want to come back to seeing him work through that. And we can, uh, so we can talk about him and Thingol uh, uh, next time as well. Okay, so this was a really good discussion about Goadriel and the Green Elves. Um, I am loving the idea of the, I mean, the more I think about this as a, a way to begin to set the stage for Lothlorien to come, the more I really like this idea. Um, there's obviously, obviously a long road uh, between now and uh, and the final establishment of Lothlorien, um, but um, uh, but I really like the direction that that's going, uh, and really glad to work out. I had been the whole uh, unfriendship of the Green Elves thing has been kind of niggling at me because, as I said, we only waved our hands at it before. So really glad to work that out more. Okay, very good. Uh, let us stop there. We'll return to Thingol and Kierden, and then we've got we've got to do the catch and release program. We've got to think about the bad guys. We've got to, um, uh, uh, you know, there's still there's still plenty of other things uh, that we got that we have to do here. So no problem. All right. Uh, thanks everybody for joining us. I think we might have. There we go. Hang on, I'm hearing. I'm hearing the fan. Are you back, Trish? Yes. No, I'm here. Yeah, I turned my my. Yeah, I turned so I could say goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I've been listening the whole time. I've been laughing, but you didn't hear me laugh because I was muted.
Right, yes, exactly, because you can let your mic with me. Absolutely. Okay. Very good. Uh, So thanks, everybody, for joining us. And I will say, as always, thanks for listening, and Godspeed.